listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings, everyone, wherever you are across the metro area. We miss you very much. Thank you for joining with us today as we use technology to align our hearts and our minds to worship the Lord together. We are still one people, and we are still a church. And whether or not we are able to gather physically or whether we are gathering in our hearts, uh, we are still one people. I want you to know we're in this together. We're going to get through this together. You're not alone. Uh, You may feel alone. That's very human. Uh, But you're not alone. And we will come out on the other side of this. And whenever the Lord allows us, I, I probably should say whenever the civil authorities allow us to come together again, We want to be smart about these things. Uh, We don't want to tempt the Lord. uh, But whenever we're able to come back together again, uh, that's going to be a great gathering. I miss you so much. Today we are continuing a series we started this past Sunday entitled Blessed, or as is often posted in our various social media feeds, hashtag blessed. What is the nature of blessing? How do we go about pursuing blessing? What's God's point in blessing and what can we learn from it all? These are some of the subjects that I am wanting to look at and cover uh, in this series. Last Sunday, we talked about how Abraham is given this, this laundry list by the Lord. It's almost as though the Lord took uh, something that any of the men of that generation would have wanted and he put it into a blessing package and he said, here, Abraham, I'm going to do this for you. And there's only one thing in that list that seems to be in it for God. There's only one thing that seems to speak to the kingdom of God rather than just uh, the needs of, of Abraham's heart. Now, be reminded that all of it is going to be used of God. All of it is going to be the manifestation of God's hand in a covenant people and to a kingdom purpose. But just looking at it from the desires of the human heart, there's really only one thing in that that seems to be God's agenda, if that makes sense. And that's when the Lord says, through you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. In other words, uh, we aren't simply being blessed in order for us to have nice things or wonderful things. We are being blessed in order to do wonderful things for God. You see, humanity is always tempted uh, by this problem of who is on the throne. Now, we say it various ways, but the truth of it is this. We humans, we have a subject-object problem. Now, um, that's a little bit of uh, maybe strange way to describe it, but just stay with me. Um, Because our hearts compete with God for who's in charge, we want to be the subject of the story. And here's the reality. If the Bible teaches us anything through the generations, it shows us God's going to be the subject of the story. We are the object in the story, but God's the subject of the story. Um, And so this subject-object problem would go something like this. 
Um, in our world, we are the center of the story. We're the subject and God is the object and we use God to get things that we want. Do you see? This is the, this is the temptation. And it's shown all the way from the Garden of Eden. This is the problem that Eve had uh, truly when uh, she's tempted by the serpent with this idea that, look, God's trying to keep you away from something valuable. Um, you, should, you should eat of this fruit because then you will be like God. You'll know what God knows. You will have understanding like God has. And so that's a picture of the temptation. Who is going to be in charge of this thing that we are all living? Uh, this story, this life, this individual narrative. Now, if you're going to serve God, you're going to have to humble yourself. I know no one gets excited about that, but it's real and it's daily. You're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to repent. You're going to have to submit your heart until you get to the place that is modeled and shown to us in the life of Jesus Christ, where he is able to say sincerely, not my will, but thy will be done. Do you see the difference? He's no longer seeking to be the center of the story. God is. That's the flesh, the manifest flesh of God showing rightness, righteousness before God. This subject object problem goes like this. In our world, we're the subject of the story. God is the object and we use God to get what we want. God, give me a great job. God, give me a a great boyfriend or girlfriend. God, give me a great business. God, give me money in the bank. We're the subject. God's the object. Now, if you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, you're going to have to shake yourself from that because that's the way of the world. Uh, you will never understand blessing in the context of heaven. Let me say that again. You'll never understand blessing in the context of heaven as long as you are the subject of the story. This is really the essential flaw of the prosperity movement and the prosperity doctrine. It's not that God doesn't bless his people. It's, God, it's not that God doesn't love to give good things to his children. He does. The Bible says so. It's that the prosperity doctrine tempts you to allow yourself to be the, the subject of the story and you use God to get what you want. In the kingdom of heaven, it's reversed. God's the subject of the story. He uses us for whatever he needs. Do you see the switch that has happened there? In heaven's view, God is the subject and he is unveiling his, un, his plan, his work, his kingdom here on earth. And he has allowed us to be a part. We are an object within the story. This is fundamentally how we go astray in misunderstanding blessing. And that's one of the things I want to try to uh, deal with here. We cannot... See God as a tool or an object or in, order, uh, in order for us to have, we have to see God as the subject and he uses us in order to do. Now, you may need to think about that for a little while, but we're going to touch on it again and again in this series on what it means to be uh, blessed. Last Sunday, we talked about uh, the moment where God speaks to Abraham in Genesis 12 and says he's going to make him a great nation, that great promise. And this tension is all through the story of the patriarchs. How are we God's people? How are we blessed of God? How... 
how are we God's people alone of all the peoples of the earth? And you will see in the story of the patriarchs this pursuit of blessing. Now remember, when it comes to the story of Abraham and how blessing is going to be transferred from him to someone else, there's really no difficulty, there's no struggle, there's no confusion. Why? Here's why. Um, Abraham only has uh, one son of blessing, and that is Isaac. And so there's not, a, there's not really a difficulty in who is going to receive the, the blessing of Abraham. And so we read the story of, of Isaac. And so from there... Um, Isaac does not simply have one son. Um, uh, he has two sons. Um, he has both Esau and Jacob. I'm reading at verse, uh, chapter um, uh, uh, number 20. Let's see. I'm somewhere in Genesis. Moving along, verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord. Forgive me, I don't have it in my notes. I think I'll have it on the screens. He prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived, verse 22. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. That's pretty good advice. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. They called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Um, Rebecca, a very, very interesting uh, woman in the story. She's a strong woman. You will see that as the story is, is unveiled. And um, we know now that her, her sons that were with in her had a very rare uh, syndrome called um, twin twin transfusion syndrome. That's very rare. Um, even today, most people haven't heard of it. But this is where, if I understand it correctly, this is where two twins share one placenta and they both are being circulated the same blood. And when this happens, there's always a dominant twin and uh, he will or she will get almost all uh, of the circulating blood and the second twin will get much less and when they are born one of them will be very healthy almost over healthy because they have twice the amount of blood and one of them will be born pale and almost sickly because their development has been done on much less much less blood this is so rare the chances that uh, the midwife or the midwives who helped uh, Rebecca would have known nothing about it they would not have known that this is a real uh, uh, symptom, a real condition, I should say. They would have simply seen it as a sign. They would have viewed it superstitiously. Why? They don't have the Bible. We have the benefit of 66 books of scripture and a countless anointed preacher after prophet, after king, after psalmist, after apostle. And we have 
you might think of as a systematic theology. Uh, they didn't have this, and they much more, there's much more mystery in their pursuit of God. And even so, they're aware of his presence, and they want his blessing. And we see them pursuing blessing. We see them hungering for blessing in their life. And their hunger is teaching to all of us, even, even here today. The family would have seen this as some type of a sign. No one had ever heard of such a thing as this twin-twin transfer uh, Trans, uh, fusion syndrome. It would have been like a sign. And they would have taken it as a sign that Esau was the blessed one. And his brother was trying to steal from him. Here is a strange, even shocking way to view this moment. But I, I want you to I want you to, I want to risk you viewing it this way. They could have even seen Jacob as a type of parasite living off of the health of his brother. And they are so shocked by this. And they're so amazed by this that Jacob for the rest of his life will live with a label or a title upon him as one who is trying to take what is his brother. He is one who would grab the heel. He's, as we would say, an ankle biter. He's not as blessed, not as, as, as gifted, not as strong, and simply trying to steal what is his brother. But here's the interesting thing. Uh, the favor of God is not a possession that can be given away. Uh, that will come out in this story. Uh, these brothers will grow up very different. Um, they will grow up very formed by their circumstances and their differences will lead to misunderstandings. Their misunderstandings will lead to sibling rivalry and family hate one toward another. They will be the beginning of a deep dysfunction within people who should have seen beyond it. I, I want to show you that. Why? The lessons that are in it speak to us today. We can be dysfunctional as a family of God. We can be dysfunctional as believers. We can be a harm one to another. We can seek to compete one with another and destroy the unity that it should be and is purpose to be and is anointed to be in the family of God. Stay with me a moment here. Esau is a man's man. He's a warrior. He is a hunter. He is everything that fits the cliche and the ideal of the masculine heart. And his father loves him for this. The Bible says that um, Isaac loved him because he put wild game in his mouth. But that, I think, is an oversimplification. That is the actual text. But uh, there, were, there were other hunters in the family. It's not simply that. Um, in fact, when uh, Rebecca and Jacob go to deceive uh, their uh, Jacob's father, um, they will use more wild game. There were other hunters in the family. It's not that simple. It's the idealization that is involved. Esau is the kind of son that any man would be proud of. He's a man's man. He's strong. He's tough. He's not weak. He's not sickly. Uh, but Jacob is everything that does not appeal to the flesh. Watch this. Wherever you are, stay with me. There's lessons here that can profoundly affect how you seek blessing in your life. Isaac loved Esau, the Bible. 
Bible tells us. But Rebecca, that strong woman who was the mother of both of them, she loved Jacob. And the plotting begins. I want you to see the essential dysfunction that is being manifest here. The hatred begins. Hatred usually grows slow in families. But once it takes root, it is almost impossible to get out. Get out of that family. Only time, mercy, and grace can remove the seeds of that hatred. I want you to see something here. Wherever you are listening to me, I want you to see that everybody in this story wants to be blessed. Have some sympathy for these people. Don't sit with the wealth of your (laughs) deep biblical understanding and look down your nose at these people. Everybody in this story wants to be blessed. All of them are pursuing blessing in just, they're doing it in different ways. Esau has grown his whole life with a sense of being blessed. He's a man's man. He has the affection of his father, the patriarch, because he's a man's man and he's proud of that. Isaac can't compete with his brother, but he's not going to give up on blessing. Isaac is not as strong. He's not as fast. His brother's a man of the, uh, of the field. He's a warrior. Isaac's a man, shall we say, of, of civilization and, 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 and community and much more inclined to, to gain strength through others. And Esau's much more inclined to gain strength through dominance. Jacob will show that he needs others. He needs them long enough to use them and Esau will show that he dominates others to remind them and himself that he is stronger than them and so the dysfunction begins the deep dysfunction begins in the story of people all of whom desperately want to be blessed of God Jacob will bargain with his brother Esau Esau does not value the things that Jacob values. And so Esau will sell his inheritance for a bowl of stew. Rebekah, the mother of the sons, will conspire with Jacob to fool Isaac. Jacob will go into his father and deceive him in order to get the blessing. And when Esau finally comes to Jacob, the deception is revealed. And so we will, we will begin reading the story of of Esau or uh, Esau coming before Jacob as it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father that Esau his brother came in from his hunting he had made a savory food he brought it to his father said to his father let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me Isaac, his father, he's very old now. His vision is bad. Who are you? He thinks he's been with Isaac. And now this imposter Isaac uh, comes in. Excuse me. He thinks he's been with Esau. Um, you know who I mean. And uh, then um, this imposter Esau comes in. The Bible says Isaac trembled exceedingly. And he says, who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you and I have blessed him. And indeed... He shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great. See this. See the pathos in the story. See the drama in the story. See the hunger of a heart that wants blessing, doesn't know how to get it. 
he cries with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and says to his father, bless me, me also, oh my father, bless me. Me also, oh my father. There's a natural tendency in the heart of the individual who doesn't understand blessing in the kingdom of God to see the blessing of others almost with a sense of sadness. You're kind of glad they're blessed, but bless me also, oh my father. I'm kind of glad my brother's blessed, but bless me also. If you misunderstand what is happening in the blessing of the kingdom of heaven, you'll always have a foundation of spiritual dysfunction in your life. If you misunderstand blessing, hear me, you'll always be bound like chains with the misunderstanding that has formed you. Bless me also, Father. Isaac, Isaac won't do it. He thinks he understands the blessing of God. All of us are prone to misunderstanding. That's why the Bible in one of its most continuing themes is a reminder to humility. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Isaac says your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. Really, Isaac? How do you know that? How do you know there's only one blessing, Isaac? There's no Bible. It's all something you believe. Why do you believe it, Isaac? Well, the birthright is the manner of the tribes. I want to remind you, birthright's not a biblical idea in the sense of uh, its usage here. I'm going to show that to you in just a moment. Stay with me. Uh, it's, it's an idea from the tribes that surround them. The eldest son serves as the patriarch and they get all the blessing. Where, where does it say that they're the only one who gets a blessing? Who told you this? Was it Abraham? Who told you this, Isaac? Well, this is just the way it is. And your brother came with the seed and took away your blessing. And Esau says, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright and now he has taken away my blessing. Have you not reserved a blessing for me? In the King James it says, hast thou but one blessing? This is the cry of the person who does not understand blessing in the kingdom of God. Hast thou but one blessing? I'm glad you've blessed my brother. But is there anything for me? I'm glad you've helped others, Lord. The dysfunctional heart always misunderstands blessing in the kingdom of God. That's why people who've served God for years can be a little bit miffed and just a little bit irritated when a new convert gets a miracle. They may not say it, particularly if they're in a healthy church that doesn't put up with that kind of uh, spiritual dysfunction. But within their heart, there's a little bit of irritation. How could they? I've served God for years. Look how good I am. Look how organized my life life is and you saved their child but you haven't saved mine you convicted their brother but you haven't convicted mine a little bit of irritation at God why you're failing to understand blessing in the kingdom of God have you only verse 38 have you only one blessing my father bless me me also oh my father and Esau lifted up his voice and wept everybody wants to be blessed here's the interesting thing about Isaac and um, excuse me here's the interesting thing about Esau and Jacob they're very different people 
Um, they don't really want the same things for in life. They don't have to compete with each other. <laughs> Ideally, in a perfect world, they could complement one another. In a perfect world, they could be the yin to the other's yang, you know, to use vernacular. Um, in a perfect world, they, they could be one brother who likes football and one brother who likes basketball. They don't have to be at each other's throat. But as long as they believe there's limited blessing, they're always going to see with spiritual dysfunction and your gain is going to be my loss. As long as they believe that the path to God's blessing is competition with their brother, they're always going to be at each other's throats. Let me be real honest to you and say it's very, very hard to build a church where people choose to see the good in one another. It's very difficult to build a church where people refuse to compete one with another. It's very difficult to build a church where people choose to believe good things about each other. Like the psalmist said in Psalm 106 in verse number 5, that I may see the good of thy chosen. That I may see the good of thy chosen. Uh, One of the ways you can look at that is to see this choice, this prayer. I want to see the good in my brother. I want to see the good in my sister. Let me be really transparent today uh, at the risk of being misunderstood. Um, I I think transparency is worth misunderstanding. Usually the people who misunderstand you wanted to misunderstand you uh, and the people who wanted to understand what you were saying, they they tended to understand what you were saying. So it's usually worth it. Um, It's easy to build a conservative church. All you have to do is run all the liberal-leaning people off. People have inclinations of personality, background, and history. Um, It's easy to build that conservative church. Just anybody who has a liberal tendency to their personality, their upbringing, their value system, run them off, and you'll have yourself a conservative church. Likewise, it's very easy to build a liberal church. All you have to do is find those people who have a conservative personality, a conservative tendency within them, and run those people off. Pretend like only the conservatives have it right or only the liberals have it right. Um, that's, you can't, have you noticed you can't do that in a family? A family, you're bound together whether you agree or disagree. You may vote for one party and I may vote for the other, but you're still my family. I can't get rid of you. That is the teaching example of the church. It is the family of God. You see differently than I do when you look out at the world. uh, You're still my brother. It is very difficult. It is very hard to build a reconciled church. What is a reconciled church? That is where we're different and it's okay. We're reconciled anyway. That is where uh, you see this way and I see that way. Uh, It's okay. You're still my brother. That is so hard. You have to pray. God Help me to see the good of thy chosen. Now, I want to show you uh, the generational difference between Isaac and Jacob. The, the hand of God is going to be upon Jacob. And yet Esau is going to get everything Esau wanted anyway. Isn't that interesting? By the terms of the flesh, Esau's not going to need God's blessing. And Jacob very much is going to need salvation. Because in the eyes of in the eyes of the outsider, Esau's the one who shows up with four hundred armed men, and Jacob's the one who meets him in his spirit, cowering and hoping he doesn't die, hiding his family. Do you see? God's blessing. Do you want to understand God's blessing, or you just want to have a a new car? Do you want to understand God's blessing, or you just want to have the biggest house in your neighborhood? You see, in God's kingdom, his blessing is on Jacob, and Esau doesn't seem to need the blessing of the Lord. 
I crave the blessing of God. I don't want just any blessing. I want God's blessing. There are some things God's chosen me that I can't have. It's okay because I don't want just any blessing. I want God's blessing. I've oriented my whole life around that and so many of you have too. We don't want just any blessing. We want the hand of God upon our life. And so I want to show you the difference. And I, I'm, I'm going a little bit longer here. Forgive me. I'm going to move quickly. Jacob blesses his sons very differently than Isaac blessed his sons. Isaac had a problem of who do I bless? I can only bless one of them. He took upon him the tradition of the world around him. Jacob is going to take the tradition of the tribes around them and he's going to throw that tradition uh, into the garbage and he's going to bless his sons differently. Verse, uh, chapter 49 of the book of Genesis tells the story of Jacob blessing his sons. Now, Jacob doesn't have one son, two sons. Jacob has 12 sons. He calls them together and he says, I'm going to prophesy to you. I'm going to tell you what shall befall you. Verse number one, gather around, listen to your father. He begins to prophesy over them and he prophesies the truth about who they are. And he tells them the consequences of their life is going to be the result of their nature. You can look at this in chapter number 49, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might in the beginning of my strength. Even so, he says, you're unstable as water. You shall not excel. He goes on to the, to the rest of them uh, because of your anger. He's speaking of Simeon and Levi. Because of your anger, you slew a man. Uh, uh, cursed be this anger. It is fierce. He goes over each son and he speaks the truth about them. Here's the reality. Your heart will form your destiny. The nature you allow to live within you will form your destiny. The apostle will say it a little bit differently. Are you ready for how the apostle says this? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Galatians 6 and 7. He's not simply pronouncing something over them. He's telling them, giving them insight to their heart. You want to be blessed? How's your heart? You want God's hand upon your life? How's your heart? You want God's presence to walk with you? How's your heart? Are you keeping your heart? Or are you willfully being selfish with your heart? Are you living for you or living for God? How is your heart? Your life will paint a picture of your heart. Do you see? He tells them the truth about them. And this is what I want you to see because we're seeking to understand blessing in the story of the patriarchs. After he has told them the truth about them and after he has pointed out that they will reap that which they have sown and after he has lived an illustration in this moment that their heart will, def will, will literally be the seed that grows a crop in their life after he has literally done these things. I want you to see in verse number 28 of chapter 49, Isaac does this. And these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what their father spoke to them. And he blessed them. And he blessed them. He blessed each one of them according to his own blessing. 
Somehow in the life of Jacob and all of the struggle and the fighting and the wrestling and trying to steal what was not his and then having to deal with a father-in-law who was as tricky as he was and a father-in-law who was as deceptive as he was, somehow in the process, somehow in the becoming of Jacob's life, he has learned something about the heart of God. It has led him to a place where he knows if he faces his brother with an understanding of God's kingdom in the same manner that was given to him as a son, that he and all his family are going to be slain. He knows his brother's blessing, uh, if you want to go by the eyes of the flesh, is far beyond, beyond his, and he will not survive the armed forces of Esau incorporated. He know he will lose. And on his knees before God, he pleads with God. And the angel of the Lord speaks to him uh, and he says, I'm not letting you go until you what? Until you bless me. I need to understand what it means to be blessed of God. I need to, I, I, I am not satisfied just to have my father pronounce a birthright over me. There's more to this blessing thing than the formula that was given to me by my father Isaac. There's There's more to it. I'm not letting go until you bless me. Something is implanted in his understanding. I like to think of it like this. His dysfunctional ideas of God's blessing change into a much more functional idea. And he begins to understand that God's blessing is not limited. He doesn't have to fight with his brother in order to get what is his. God knows how to bless him. So let me say it this way to all of you people you beloved people who are a part of this house of worship. When your brother's blessed, it doesn't cut into your blessing. When your sister is anointed, it doesn't cut into your anointing. They can be blessed and you can be blessed. There is no shortage in heaven of blessing and there is no limited supply of anointing from the hand of God. Don't let the house of God be divided by a dysfunctional understanding of what the kingdom of God is made of. It was never about your blessing anyway. It was God, how God could use you to be a blessing, not to have a blessing. Do you see? Jacob lives this out. And when he comes out of his wrestling match with the angel, he's walking with a limp now. Another sign of damage in the long journey. But he has a different view of blessing. He's not willing just to bless his eldest. He's not willing to accept a formula of the tribes around him and say he's the one who gets it. He tells them this truth. What you become and what you reap is a function of your heart and what you sow. Even so. Even though I know your weaknesses, even though I know your sins, I'm blessing everybody anyway. And the Bible says he blessed them all according to his own blessing. Finally, Jacob at the very end stands before Pharaoh. This is when they've all nearly died of famine. They've all nearly died of famine. Jacob has had a hard road. He's been saved because God put his hand of anointing upon his son Joseph. And Joseph has been sent to Egypt. And now Jacob, that father who would bless all his sons, not just one. He stands before Pharaoh. 
He has a different sense of blessing. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. It's not a dysfunctional, competitive, I've got to take something from somebody. It's a much more abundant sense that God's blessing is beyond measure. And it's easy to miss these moments in the scripture, but there is profound insight in these moments because Jacob will stand even before Pharaoh. And he's not stingy with God's blessing. Standing there, he says, the days he's standing before Pharaoh, Uh, Verse uh, 9, chapter 47. The days of my life, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 120 years and few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. It's a fancy poetic way of saying I haven't had an easy road. And then he says this. They have not attained to the years, to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. But this is what he does. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh. What? What just happened? Are you crazy, brother? Brother Isaac, are you crazy? Excuse me, Jacob. These names run together. Are you crazy? You're going to bless Pharaoh? Don't you know one day Pharaoh, not this one, but the office will be a curse upon your people and God will use that curse to bring them out? God will use that curse to help them become. You're going to bless someone who isn't even of the covenant. Look, once you understand the blessing of God, you understand that it's not a stingy thing and you want everybody to be blessed. This is the original covenant, the original thing that the Lord spoke to Abraham when he said, through you shall all the nations of the world be blessed. Let's not be stuck in the subject-object problem. Let's not think we're the subject. Let's remember that God is the subject. God does, we don't use God in order to be blessed so we may have. God uses us in order to bless that we may do. It's not the same thing. Everybody wants to be blessed. But there's some people who understand how rich is the blessings of God. And they want blessing for everybody. Let me say it this way. I'm not satisfied just to have a a few hundred people in our church be blessed. I would like revival to fall upon this whole city. I would like every church in this city to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I would like every city of this state to have a religious passion arise within them that they turn their hearts to God. They repent of their sins. They call upon the name of the Lord. I would like the whole world to be blessed and I don't believe that's going to cut into my blessing. I want to stand with a deeper understanding of a blessing, not a dysfunctional understanding that makes me need to kill and trick and cheat my brother. Yes, this can be real. Yes, it can be manifest in the modern church. Yes, there are churches built upon this. And their main source of growth is to go try to get somebody else's people to leave that church and come to them. This is a real thing in the world. But I'm telling you, that's not the kind of blessing we want to have. We want the kind of blessing where everybody's blessed, even the unbeliever. Why? It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Let me end with this. Our musicians, come please. One of the last things the apostle John would say to the church is after he's written the book of Revelations, it's after he's actually been brought back from the island of Patmos after his exile. He's now very old and he's living 
living the last years of his life, and he writes his three epistles. And he says something uh, in the first epistle, chapter one, that uh, this is verse five through seven. This is amazing. And this is the message. This is John, the last living apostle, the closest disciple to Jesus, the one whom Jesus loved, the one who was given the care of Jesus' mother. This is the message we have heard from him. Notice if you're reading along with me, that's a capital H. He's referring to Jesus. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. This is the message we have heard from Jesus and declared it to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, something happens. God brings people together. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, God brings churches together. He brings believers together. He brings brothers together and sisters together. God restores broken families. God restores broken hearts. God restores. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, something magical happens. Magic's a bad word, but I think you know what I mean by it. We have fellowship one with another. When my nature is changed and I become more long-suffering, I become more focused on the good and I become less negative and less self-centered and less greedy. When I have him within me, I'm able to get along with people. It's the most amazing thing. People begin to think I like them. People think that I might even care about what's good for them. The love of God begins to manifest itself for me. If I walk in the light as he is in the light, then this amazing thing called fellowship happens. What's on the other side of fellowship? The blood of Jesus. The blood of Christ, Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Mercy supplied. What are you talking about? There is a link between mercy one to another and mercy from God. It's not my theory. Read it. You have to have mercy or you deny mercy to yourself. That's what John's getting at here. Look, if we walk in the light, truth, understanding, we perceive the kingdom of God and its draw upon us. Then what happens if we walk in that light? As he is in the light. Then we have fellowship with one another. We extend mercy one to another. And the precious blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. I want to be blessed desperately. You want to be blessed. In this series, we're looking at how we can be blessed. All across the city, join with me and pray right now. Lord Jesus, we stand in your presence We want to understand what the kingdom of heaven consists of and we want to understand our place within it and we want to have foundations of spiritual insight. We want to have foundations of biblical knowledge and we want to see and we want to know how your kingdom is is to be promoted, how it is to be established, how it is to be founded. We are your witnesses, your literal servants in the earth, your manifest sons and daughters. Lord Jesus, it's natural for us to want blessing, but it's also natural for us to misunderstand the kingdom. Just as much as it's natural for us to desire, it's easy for us to misunderstand. God, we want to be blessed. That blessing is not about us. We are not sitting upon the throne of the story. (laughs) We are not crowning ourselves and asking you to be our servant. No. We're wanting to place you on the throne. 
and we're wanting to say, Lord, what can I do for you? If it serves your purpose to bless me, then I receive blessing with joy and thanksgiving. If it serves your purpose to crush me, as hard as it is to pray, I accept that crushing from you. But however you might use me, I exist to do what you have allowed me, involved me to do. I am blessed to be a blessing. I have that I might give. Let us all live with that understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I love you. I miss you. Wherever you're at, just take a moment, have a few moments of quiet there. Reflect in your heart about what you've heard, the word of the Lord, the stories of the patriarchs, what God's calling you to do, what God is inviting you to be a part of. Right now, just bow your heads. listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.